Hello, this is Sean. And this is Justin holding a glass of white wine. And I've got my red, and this is the dot matrix. And uh, we're entering this podcast in style. We are. <laughs> Shall we just cheers? Sure. <laughs> so what are we drinking? Oh, um, actually, it's a, that's good you brought that up. Uh, you are drinking a Le Vieux Pain Petit Pain uh, White, which is a blend. So Le Vieux Pain is uh, a, a, a winery in the Okanagan, in a Soyuz, so South Okanagan. And yes. the, their Petit Pain is their, one of their white blends. Uh, so I think there's up to five grapes in it. Um, I don't know them offhand, but I, I think it says on the bottle. Uh, it's 2012, and yeah, I hope you like it. Okay. It's very nice. What are you, and what are you drinking? I am drinking a Inniskillen Cabernet Sauvignon, also from the Okanagan. Uh, Inniskillen, I, I don't know offhand where in the Okanagan it is, but uh, same overall region. Uh, it's quite good. In fact, I was noticing that, uh, cause I opened this up when you were here the other night. Okay. So a few nights ago, Justin was over and we were having... I'm always over drinking. You're always over here drinking. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it was good. Uh, a fr uh, one of our running group friends, uh, brought it over and we started drinking it. But I actually find it better today. Okay. And that happens every now and again. Well, he was saying... Um, that it needed to breathe more. Yeah. That's what he said, so. And, you know, Cabernet Sauvignon's typically will need some breathing time. I used my aerator when I started pouring it on Sunday, and that helps, but absolutely, you probably want to decant something like that for an hour or two, and then dive in. Uh, but yeah, it, I, I have a stopper, and I... I use that thing to suck the air out of it. So if you're right. storing it, the less air, the better. Mm. Uh, and uh, I find this actually really good today. <laughs> so nice. I'm very pleased with it. Yeah. And I think it was yours. Mm -hmm. $17. Nice. Legacy. Down $7. $7 sale. Okay. I'm going to ask them one of these days why the Legacy Liquor Store at Lipid Village in Vancouver I don't know why. I know it's about 20 at the vineyard. So even $3 off is actually a pretty decent sale for wine. Usually it's like a dollar or two off. Right. But for them, they obviously have a little bit of a markup being a private store. And they, they're selling it for, they had it originally for 24 and they have stacks of them in there. And they're 17. And I think it's a really great wine. In fact, I went on Twitter to tell them so. <laughs> and they wrote back. <laughs> nice. And they said thanks. <laughs> so you're one tweet in a six-month period. Yes. <laughs> and we talked about Twitter before, didn't we? We have two old guys talking about Twitter. It's yeah. not, not, not pretty and not terribly entertaining in the podcast world, but, you know, hey. It's kind of a non-starter, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I hope you like so. Very nice. It was a... Uh... Nice way to start a podcast. Yeah, I find we usually just drink water for those out there who don't know. 
Because Which is everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you talk for almost an hour, as we always do, it you know talking for that long, you need you need some you need some water, you need some liquid to get you through that. Very true. So now Very we're true. mixing it up. So that's good. <laughs> so we're sitting here. It's the last time we chatted uh, in a podcast was in June, and now the summer is almost over. Uh, because we're into late August now. What's on your mind? A whole lot. Okay. There is a whole lot going on right now. Yes, okay. Well, where do you want to start, my friend? Well, you know, um... I want to start with Robin Williams. Okay. Because, uh, you know, the Emmys were on just the other night. And um, I haven't watched it yet, so don't give me any spoilers. But did oh. you see it? Yes. You did, yeah. Yes. And I wanted to watch Billy Crystal do his tribute to Rob Williams. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've got it taped. So, uh, can I not your VHS? My VHS. <laughs> it was like Duck Dynasty. Did right. you see that joke? I saw I, that. Yes, I did, yes. <laughs> Seth Myers. Um... I wanted to talk about it only because, again, and more than probably ever before, it's raised this issue about mental health, mm -hmm. and I I can't. I was just I was actually talking to my dad about it last night, and I couldn't believe it when I heard it, because uh, they said pretty early on that he probably committed suicide. You know, right. And I didn't realize how much he was probably in a dark place, like a really dark place. And a lot of people were using this to talk about mental illness, which I think is a good thing to do. So I just, I don't know. I think it's something worth discussing and not um, being forgotten so quickly. Because mm. we're, you know, every day... You know, the, the news cycle is so fast. We're constantly moving between different things going on. And, you know, we post about it on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And then it's it's like, oh, okay, well, that was so two weeks ago or whatever. I didn't, I think it's one of those things that um, we know we have friends who work in that, uh, within that realm with mm -hmm. mental illness or psychological issues. And so... I just wanted to see what your thoughts were. Like, mm -hmm. I, it's pretty obvious, like, it's really sad and tragic, but do you think that uh, this is a conversation that, that that's going to be um, constructive? Well, I don't know if it's constructive, but it will be a conversation. Um, I mean, before I get into the mental health thing, what I, I do uh, acknowledge, too, how, well, what, how shocking it was, and, and also... Uh, when you think about the fact that Lauren Bacall passed away the day after, right? Uh, equally iconic, equally yeah. impactful in that realm of entertainment, movies, uh, just cultural icon. Um, and I remember going to CNN that day, and it was still all about Robin Williams. It kind of felt like, well, Lauren Bacall should get some due credit. Sure. Uh, so I, I do want to say that for some reason. Um, but it's interesting because I think mean, some of the press around what happened well i mean the the press was you're right was quite early about indicating that the the cause 
might have been suicide. Yeah. Um, and one of the statements from the family was that, you know, you hope that people recognize his life and his art and his canon uh, and his craft as opposed to the way he died. Right. Um, so I think you, there is value in thinking about recognizing Robin Williams as the person uh, and his his contribution to American culture. Um, but then you're right. I mean, the conversation is should be there about mental health, mental illness. I think about uh, some of the coverage I got from I think it was like someone in Fox News talked about you know talked about the the announcement of his death and about suicide, and then he used the word coward, coward way out or something, sure. right? and then had to retract it eventually. And, right. Uh, I mean, or almost pretty instantaneously. Uh, I mean, I don't get that perspective personally. I don't. I think to get to a point where you have decided that taking your own life is uh, a better solution than whatever else you could you could fathom, uh, it's pretty serious. Yeah. Like I, I I I wouldn't use the word coward in any stretch of the imagination. Like it's myself. That's my personal view. Right. Yeah. Neither. Um, and then, you know, and last summer, uh, over a year ago, I um, I took a mental health first aid course. Uh, learned a lot about sort of mental health versus mental illness. Even those terms are different. Oh, really? Um, and um, the various different tactics uh, around mental health and some of the misconceptions and various different things. And and what I like about the even the terminology is very the terminology is quite deliberate about mental health first aid, right? Yeah. Uh, because first aid. Uh, we're much more familiar with the term as being a physical first aid, right? So when some when someone is um, you know broke broken their arm and you see them on the side of the road or something, you treat first aid if you got first aid knowledge, right? Right. And then you call nine one one, triage happens, and they get carted away to hospital for further treatment, and you've done your duty as a first aider. Uh, mental health first aid is a very different thing. It's not. It's not just a one incident. You provide some, some, some support for that broken arm. Because obviously the person has a broken arm, and then you know help comes. It's not a one incident thing. One of the big key points is mental health first aid is not one. You're not. You're not a professional, so you're just providing first aid, and it's not a singular incident uh, because it might take over time. Because people who might have a um, uh, a mental a mental health issue or have a mental illness uh, they will get support when they're ready for to get support right? right and so sometimes a first aid incidents isn't just a singular moment but it's a, a number of moments over time uh, so I might for some reason feel you need I need to provide some mental health first aid for you and you might refuse it or you might not even understand what I'm even saying Right. Uh, and then maybe over weeks or months. So the first aid treatment might take a long time. Mm-hmm. So that's one difference. Um, and, and the other fact is, like, when you have a broken arm, you obviously see you have a broken arm. Yeah. Like, m- uh, a mental health condition, uh, symptom, uh, what have you, is a lot more uh, nuanced. Uh, and, and sometimes it's just, you know, you're just having a hard day. <laughs> Yeah. And what's the difference between having a hard day and having a, a mental health issue, right? It's hard. Hard to tell, right? Uh, so it's much more nuanced. Uh, 
And I think it's also because it's so nuanced, people are afraid to understand how to intervene, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you, you can't just say, here's the three things you do. I mean, although like, first aid training does provide some of those kinds of tips. Uh, and the last thing that I don't really talk about, but I always think about often when you think about mental health and what I like about the term first aid is really helpful, is that uh, when we think about mental health, uh, first aid, we think about a physical aspect of your body that needs support your arm your your leg and i think your brain is like your heart is also an organ in your body yeah uh, and it just manifests itself differently if you have a broken heart you know you either you know have hard time breathing you might collapse there's physical symptoms uh when you have a broken brain to use that crude physical term i'm using air quotes for those of you who can't see at home uh it's uh <laughs> You know, the symptoms become behavioral. Yeah. And we all get, without proper understanding or, or just instead of rushing to judgment, we tend to rush to judgment so quickly because we're in a world where we're inundated with everything so quickly that we, yeah. it's a self, you know, it's a way of vetting through the noise is being able to judge and make assessments really quickly. But if someone's walking down the street and talking to themselves or is sitting crying, yeah. um, those are behavioral. Right. And and we're not as trained to handle how to support behavioral issues Mm -hmm. uh, and symptoms as we are. about well, you cut your your finger. So where's a bandaid? Right. Exactly. Uh, And those and those behavioral symptoms are from a physical ailment, which is your brain is not functioning. It's broken or or what have you. Yeah. Um, Or you just aren't handling yourself because the brain and the stress and all the rest of you aren't in sync, right? Um, So I think there's value of thinking about it as a physical ailment with behavioral symptoms. Uh, I don't know, that's one way of making it less sensitive. In my mind, I I don't know, I I go there, um, is just some general thoughts. Yeah, no, I, I think that's all very actually enlightening because I think the way people think about, like, say, depression is that, um, oh, well, you know, they're just sad in a very extreme case. When actually, it's, it seems that it's a real, uh, like a chemical imbalance or like a very actual scientific thing. Like there's a, there's a, a physical issue with the brain that turns it into a mental problem, you know? And, um... That's, it's just incredible when you think of, like, say, someone like Robin Williams or, you know, they say that comics are, um, you're really prone to this, you know? Yeah, yeah, so I heard that somewhere. I I read an article, someone posted something, probably on Facebook, Uh, but I was kind of like, oh, I never thought of that in that way. Well, it, it... that's the thing, and, and I think it's it's not just comics, I think it's just entertainers, and I think it's people who, you know, they get up in front of others to uh, entertain or just almost um, become something larger than themselves, uh, where that's actually very emotionally demanding. And to do that for years and years and years, I mean... You look at any appearance that Robin Williams has made on 
any sort of format, whether it's a talk show or a movie or whatever, stand-up comedy, and he just he just goes. He just turns that on, right? Right. And I can't even believe how f- exhausting that must have been. And you often hear about, you know, comedians saying, oh, well, when the performance is over, it's so hard to just come down, you know? And I think maybe that just compounds over time where uh, it's like he would say, Robin Williams' famous quote now is where he was like, you know, after I won the Oscar for Goodwill Hunting, he's like, a week later, people were like saying, hey, Mork, you know? <laughs> because of how just, you know, uh, fleeting it all is, you know, mm-hmm. and how quick people forget and, and just move on and you're only as good as your last whatever. And so I think what people forget sometimes is that you, people who entertain, they really put themselves out there probably more than in a lot of different, um, you know, uh, industries or, you know, different uh things that people do but i i was just really shocked because i just thought that he he seemed really kind of um i don't know uh level-headed enough to know that you know because he's been in the business for so long that you know this is the way this goes okay my current show was canceled you know after one season right I don't know. Uh, as someone in their mid, early to mid sixties, when that happens, maybe you start to have a huge uh, complex about that. You know, yeah. it's just like anyone else who's worked for years and then all of a sudden they've been laid off. You know, so I think there's actually a lot of things that can come out of this, but but at the same time, I just think, oh, you know, this is just something that's just gonna, you know, we're not. There's so much stigma still attached to mental illness and things like that, that I think it's still a long way to go, maybe. I don't know. I think it's opened up some eyes, but I, I don't know. I think I think that when you get to where Rob Williams was at, and he's sitting there, he's got some children, he's got a wife. Right. Uh, you know, to be in that dark of a place... When people come out and say, oh, he's a coward or whatever, like, I don't think anyone could really even possibly start to understand what that feeling is like. Like, it's the, it's got to be the blackest clouds of all black clouds, you know, where the only way you think you can even get some peace is to hang yourself. Like, I think that's why I was so shocked to, to, to know that he was at that place, you know. And I think the challenging thing is too is there's such, I mean, mental health and mental uh, mental health broadly is such a is such a broad term. I mean, broadly it's a broad term. Sorry, weird, weird use of words there. But yeah. like you think about there is uh, depression in its all in its forms that it takes. You know, and then you get to things like bipolar issues. Right. Uh, but then you get to things like schizophrenia. Right. Such a completely different thing yeah. under the realm of mental health, right. uh, of mental illness in that in that case, um, and it's hard. Like, what are we talking about, right? Like, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, Robin Williams in his particular story 
wasn't necessarily schizophrenic. At least I, that's not what I understand. Um, his issues in mental health were much more on the depression side of things and maybe bipolar. I'm not quite sure if I've read that or not. Um, uh, and so it, it, there's such a spectrum. Mm-hmm. And some with, I think, depression and, and maybe bipolar to a lesser degree is a little bit more of a... There's been some... some some gains to in in the public's willingness to talk about those things and right. and actually people being able to talk about if they're dealing with it yeah um, schizophrenia I would say and some of those other more uh, other in the in that realm those mental uh, health uh, issues I I would say there's still huge stigma attached mm. uh, mm-hmm. I mean you think about walking down the downtown east side and. Mm-hmm. And how what the the mental health issues uh, materialize in that side, or not just down down on the side, but any sort of more impoverished area. And if you're walking down the street and you normally don't walk down that street, and and you uh, see behavioral uh, behaviors that are not what you're used to, uh, maybe some of them are are, are because of uh, mental health issues. Some of them might be for other addictions issues or just. Uh, just cultural issues who knows right yeah. anything uh, but we walk faster or we don't make eye contact sure. or what have you right? And, right and 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 if we can get to a place where we can talk about those issues uh, and engage differently than ignoring or walking faster I mean I, I would say I'm not a champion of that in a heightened sense of, of self either um but that would be a nice place to be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's uh, move on to another topic. Well, you know, I think about um, thinking about those issues. I think about sort of the ALS and the ice bucket challenge going on, which is getting huge play. Yeah, yeah. In the last yeah. couple of months. Yeah. And um, but you think about there's a difference again, a split between mental health. Yeah. And neurological illnesses yeah which is ALS mm-hmm. which is very much entrenched in uh, a physical health issue sure right in that category because I guess ALS doesn't then create behavioral symptoms right as opposed you, to physical symptoms you right? can still be of sound mind it's just your body is failing mm-hmm. correct like your muscles yeah. and because as you know a friend of a mutual friend of, of ours Challenged me. I am in development of that response, which I won't share here. Uh, I I have something I think really interesting. Uh, cool. But uh, I mean, and what you hope you do is, which is what I did yesterday, went to the ALSBC website, read a bit more, and you put something the other day. Uh, I think today even on Facebook about yeah. how the Globe and Mail was saying that six hundred or McLean was yeah. saying six hundred people die of ALS a year in Canada. Um, and the, I didn't read, I didn't click the, the link, but my interpretation of what, why you posted it was, you know, the question would be, is that illness then worth this kind of attention? Right. Uh, and your comment uh, to that vein, I agree with completely, which is, well, I mean, one person dying in that kind of way is horrible. horrible. Yeah. And you think about your, your body not being able to send those those signals to the voluntary muscles to be able to move and you end up being trapped in your own body in a very quick succession. Yeah. 
That's right. I mean, some of the some of the statistics I was reading was um, that you know once you from diagnosis to death is maybe three three and a half years or something is that's is, right is yeah. how how fast that goes and there's some other pieces to it so hopefully people are one donating to reading more about this this uh, what ALS actually is. Um, and actually it was people talk about, you know, it's also called Lou Gehrig's disease. And even I, I didn't quite understand until I went to the FAQs that Lou Gehrig himself died at 39 of, right. of, of ALS. Yeah. And again, such a profound story at that time, yeah. even to this day, because he was such a high performance athlete, you know, a star in baseball. And then two years later from diagnosis was dead at 39. So, I mean, that's why it's so impactful because there are such stories and you see some of the, the viral posts about, uh, people's ice bucket responses and talking about, you know, this is my story and, and, and I think, you know, we, I know these things you can't quantify by human numbers, mm -hmm. but by you quantify, you qualify by human stories, right? And, yes. And, uh. And so it's just really fascinating because I know some people are like, oh, you know, so much attention, whatever, or, you know, like, a lot of people can, you know, channel their inner curmudgeon, their inner Preston Manning, right? <laughs> and and I, 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 I mean, all valid questions are all valid points, but I'm like, anytime you can talk about something that's of this importance and, you know, you might be not part of that 600 who die every year connected to that person but for those 600 this is the most massively important thing in their lives it is, uh, changes it completely they talk about the equipment for someone with ALS is 137,000 on average can you imagine 137,000 like you yeah I mean unless you're building or renovating a house you don't spend that kind of money every day no uh, and then the care it takes is even you know whatever times more of that right so um, so I, I think it's nice to be talking about these things and, and, and how other people have used it to, like our friend also donated to Covenant House, so it helps an opportunity to, to think about er other charitable work. Yeah. Uh, she was wearing the Mode Modern, uh, tank top, so your band gets a nice plug. <laughs> um, you yeah. know, and the one getting the press too about, uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, doing the ice bucket challenge. I haven't seen the video, but it's, uh, people were talking about it at work today about like Leo um, challenging Stephen Harper and a lot of the First Nations chiefs in that video were challenging various CEOs of oil companies and stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's, <laughs> it's good. And I would say what's also interesting that I also read too in the ALS um, broader um, uh, US, I think, foundation website, they were saying at the same period of this challenge last year, although they, they having not done the challenge at all, they, they raised $3.5 in, in this last two-month span last year. But with the Ice Bucket Challenge, to date, I think the last tally that I saw on their news feed was $79 million. Wow. So you imagine the difference between $3.5 to $79 million. Like, like, a lot of possibilities come up. And, and, and I took... Part of how I took issue with that article was although there's some points in there that you know if they're just factual statistics are factual but it's it's the name of the article was something like why the ice bucket challenge is bad for you or something like that 
And, you know, that just goes towards how just sensationalist this silliness that the McLean's always does to just try and get readers. I mean, it's just absurd to, to name an article that way because it's like, oh, well, that suggests that doing this, exercising this campaign is going to harm me. That's what the title suggests. Right. And it's just, you know, and I read this and... So, and I understand why people are posting it on Facebook. You know, I've, I've seen a few friends post that article on Facebook, and I get it. But what I wanted to say was, by my post, which I didn't want to sound very, you know, self-righteous or anything, was that it, it, it's like, okay, well, I don't even know how to explain it. When, when, when there, a, a small movement starts... And it becomes really big very quickly. People start rejecting that all of a sudden. Sure. As if there's something wrong with that. Sure. And that's what I'm... That was mainly what I took issue with. It's like, you know, you don't have to do it. Even if you're nominated, you don't have to do it. And that's fine. And you can donate privately. And to a lot of people, and including myself, I often think this way, um... When you're talking to someone face-to-face, -face, you have no idea what type of philanthropic stuff they've, they've done. You have no idea what they donate to maybe on a monthly basis or lump sum here and there, different causes that are important to them. Because it's no one's business. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, there's actually a lot of famous people who do it very quietly, too. Right. They, they don't want people to, to know because... It, it, it might be personal to them. And, you know, they, if they attract so much attention, they're going to have to just throw money left and right to all over the place. Right. Which I can get that too. But I think, you know, when someone says, oh, let's, you know, do this, throw a bucket of water overhead, and sure, why not? I mean, you can't deny that it's gone from, like you said, three-something million... The 70 something million you know uh over the course of a year so there you can't deny that it works right there's just no evidence to say this doesn't work so i think if someone feels good about doing something and being a part of something even if it's for just today and they've moved on then i think that's a really positive thing i think we we devalue just the fact we devalue or we get suspicious when people get connected or attached to an issue that is not personal to them. That's right. And I'm like, should we all get ALS before we start to say oh, we, no. we find ALS an important issue? Yeah. I mean, if only the 600 families who had, fam uh, who had members of their family who passed away donated, where would we be? Where would we be? You know? Um, I mean, cancer is a huge fundable, quote-unquote, uh, uh, disease because so many of us are touched by cancer. Um, I mean, I don't, don't donate every year, but I've donated to the Cancer Society in the past because um, I have a personal connection. But shouldn't others want to donate if they have never known a person who have had cancer? <laughs> like All the better, right? Like, all the better. Yeah. Why should people be suspicious of that? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's weird. It's like I, you know, I remember as I, I volunteered for the uh, 
uh, Special Olympics this summer because it was Allen campus where I work. Right. Um, it's the Summer Games for Canada, and uh, I remember someone said to me, and I can't remember if I've repeated the story before, uh, oh, so, you know, I, was, I, was, I did multiple shifts, I talked about it with such energy, and, um, you know, do you, do you have a personal connection to Special Olympics or someone with a developmental disability? And I'm like, no, don't know anyone. Yeah. I just find it, I love the the event, I love the, the, the notion that competitive sports is open to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, I mean, the events that I saw and volunteered for, highly competitive. Like, like I, yeah. like you just, you, you just, you can't compare. Like, it's yeah. like, you watch some of like the, the, the weightlifting competition or the soccer or the running or the athletics, you're like, I mean, not that I'm a great athlete, my bar is low, but I, even if I trained my heart out, I would not get to that level. Like, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I do find the history of developmental disabilities uh, and what we call here in British Columbia the community living sector fascinating. I, I, I love the values that the people who work in that field bring. I love the way the story has been in our province around moving from institutional care where you have uh, families who were at one point either ashamed of family members with developmental disabilities and they've, you know, put them in a home and an institution of hundreds of people Mm -hmm. to a place where we are today where that's not the case. Uh, there are no huge institutions where we hide people away. Right. Uh, right. But which is the term community living? Like we have people who have developmental disabilities from all ages living in community. They either live in more smaller group supported group homes with like you know eight or ten people, or they're still living at home with and the families have the supports they need mm-hmm. to care for their loved one because they are still loved ones uh, for the most part. Um, I, I, I see, especially in the, in the Special Olympics, which is more athletics-based, so many family supports and just uh, loving uh, family members equally, if not more, uh, if they've had a development disability or not. Right. I remember I, I spent one shift on a Saturday filming swimming uh, for the live stream. It was online. Uh, so, you, so people could watch the competition live, but not necessarily have traveled to Vancouver. And this... Um, gentleman came by after we were done filming and we were just standing by the camera. He's like, are you guys part of the live streaming crew? I'm like, yeah, we did the swimming just now. He's like, and he gave me a pin from Quebec and he was pin trading is a big thing in a lot of sporting events. He's like, I just want to thank you so much. My son's family and friends were able to watch his competition because you guys were doing what you did. Whoa. And I... I was one of the highlights of my time there Um, because there is such, you know, commitment uh, and and there's a much different story we tell in British Columbia about that, uh, the development disabilities community. Uh, I just saw on the news the other day where I think finally in Alberta, they're trying to make that shift away from large institutions and Hmm. there's a lot of fear because, I mean, you could live in those institutions and you've got friends there. Of course you do, right? And so now they're telling people to move out of those places and to either live at home, live in other more smaller uh, support. And there's a lot of fear. So I understand that fear completely. Mm. 
But that transition happened in British Columbia, I think, 30 years ago. Right? And Alberta's And Alberta's just thinking about it, right? But it just takes time, right? Everyone, every province, every region has its own story. Uh, but what I find it fascinating. Like, huh. I have no connection to that at all. I don't know anyone in my family, none of our friends, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, at all. Yeah. Um, but I just find it... So I have this connection. And is that wrong to have a connection? Even though I don't have a personal connection, right? Totally not. And the same thing when you think about the Ice Bucket Challenge. Yeah. I, 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 People uh, are... It, it, you know, especially with this flying around Facebook all the time, it's, it's giving people that opportunity to get in there, yeah. you know? Like, sometimes people be like, oh, it'd be great to, but, you know, I'm, you know, there's always a, a like a mental barrier. But if it's just simple as someone, one of their Facebook friends saying, I nominate you, so that gets you going, you know? Right. So I, I don't know. I think people are freaking out over nothing. Well, I think, you know, there's that term about slacktivism, right? Where, mm. where, mm-hmm. um, which where, that article you know, said, you know, you just like something on Facebook, so that means you're part of the, the movement. You've made your impact. And so I get that. Like, yes, liking something isn't the be all and end all. It's not right. like going to move mountains, but if liking something means you've read something in order to like it yes. and you've got build a bit more knowledge and understanding of a particular issue, that's not bad. Um, and I think that's what makes the Ice Bucket Challenge so ingenious is, uh, and one, I don't quite understand the connection between ALS and the Ice Bucket itself. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I should read up, but I kept thinking, uh, Vanessa and I were talking the other day, like, is it that this does it simulate something? Is it like mm-hmm. that reaction simulates some uh, paralysis that might happen that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know. I, I haven't read too far into the website to understand that. Right. But, um... But the, the ingenious of this is not just asking people to like that that video of someone pouring ice over, over their head. It's that person nominates someone. So that per- person who nominates has to either accept or not, or could do nothing, of course, uh, but can donate, can also... like it, it's, There's an activeness to the activism that's not slacktivism, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so whoever thought of it, Genius. Yeah. Genius. Yeah, I think so. And of course, what people have to remember is good intentions. Yeah. I mean, let's let's bring it all back for a second and remember there's actually something called good intentions that people people had here. Like, before we start just freaking out about, you know, uh, uh, and I get it, you know, Matt Damon's like, hey guys, this is wasting a lot of water resource. You know, and he, did he do it with something with the toilet water or something like that? Yeah, and and, and sure, cool. totally valid. Yeah, but but let's again, let's not forget that anyone can just go. Uh, many people can just go to their kitchen sink, get a little bowl of water with some ice, and throw it over their head. Let's not get outraged just yet. You know what I'm saying? Like. Yeah. That's kind of my viewpoint, because I'm like, let's just bring it back down to earth a bit for a second before we start just over-criticizing each other. Um, so yeah, I think all good points around uh, for that one, for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, so what else is on your mind? Because I know we want to get to, because you were so keen on doing another poetry <laughs> reading, and I, 
slacked off, I guess, if that's no, the term, no, no. and didn't have a poem, and I don't want to do it justice by rushing to some poem of course. Uh, that wasn't resonating to me. Uh, but I'd love to end with that poem. But yeah. is there any other topic that you really want to talk about that you've been itching to talk about since we haven't done a podcast for most of the summer? Well, in your mind? there's a few things. Okay. What are they? <laughs> love it. Okay, well, maybe I'll list them, and then maybe you can choose one that you want to talk about. How's that? Okay, list them. Okay. Uh, teacher strike. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Uh, the Michael Brown shooting. Ferguson, right? Yes. Uh, there's also, of course, the Israeli-Gaza war, There, which can get really depressing, and I don't know if we want to keep going down that road. Uh, but there's also... Um, well, those are the main three. That came to mind. Uh, oh, and sorry, one more. Yes. And more recent, mm -hmm. uh, current rather is the. Uh, and we we touched on this on Sunday. The do we or do we not have an inquiry about the uh, First Nations women missing and murdered? That's the uh, other one. So your pick. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh, oh, very controversial, and and we could we could talk about something way more upbeat. <laughs> wow, so cri uh, critical. I mean, but as you know, as we talked about on Sunday, huge thoughts and personal opinions on the inquiry question. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you know, um, I think you know people are really. Challenging Stephen Harper's insensitivity, you know, I, I get where he's coming from. So people are shitting on him, which I don't necessarily want to dump on him as well. But it's so true that that inquiry is needed. Um, so I mean, that's all I have to say about that. Okay, fair <laughs> um, enough. Fair enough. I, I would agree with you. On yeah. That. Okay. Yeah. But uh, gosh, <laughs> I like to table the Israeli-Gaza war pieces as we've talked about many times. Yeah. I don't feel as nearly well-versed on the nuances of that at all to be able to uh, interact in any sort of dialogue that would be at least valuable uh, to be on air, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> Fair enough. But the teacher strike, I do have things and thoughts of, of, and Ferguson is so messed up. Yeah. So messed up. Uh, so... You know, I wouldn't mind talking about Ferguson, actually. Let's do it. Because, you know, when you when we talk about Ferguson, and for those who have been not paying attention to the news <laughs> or anything, um, uh, the 18-year-old who died was Michael, Michael Brown. Brown. Yeah. Uh, shot by police. Uh, unarmed. Unarmed. Hands raised up. Um, according took, to witnesses. According to witnesses. Took a number of days before the police would even identify who the police officer was who who shot and killed the teenager um, the racial dynamics of a predominantly black suburb of St. Louis uh, and a almost exclusively white police force it, um, I was gonna say is that is that the case huh yes I think they were saying that there's I think the police chief was on CNN I saw a little clip and he's like we have one Hispanic and one, <laughs> I think one black officer, exactly. I believe is what he said. Um, so that 
racial tension and the whole history of racial tension in the United States is in there. Um, but I think about, you know, the, the weird connection I make is to uh, Humans of New York. I don't, I don't know if you get that news, that feed on your Facebook, you follow their Facebook uh, no. page. I don't even know much about Humans of New York. It's a, it's an, it's a one guy, I think, who's a photographer, takes pictures of people all over New York City and um, asks them questions and he posts that photo of that person with a little, not transcript, a little quick synopsis of a, of a key point of what the conversation was. And it was, I guess, I mean, I don't know the history, I haven't read the About Us part of the, that, of that, uh, uh, Facebook page and I, it's a there's a book and I guess it must be a blog or something um, but it's to humanize this eight million person city that every person you walk by might you might walk the streets of Manhattan or any of the boroughs like um, a zombie hmm. uh, but there are people walking next to you who are human beings as well that is how I interpret the humans of New York and they all have stories are all fascinating everyone has a valuable peace to share right. of their of themselves and um and it reminds me of all, with ferguson when you think about all the jockeying for position of you know not naming the person's name and then suddenly implying that michael brown might have been a thief and robbed us like a, mm. a store or a convenience store like hours before the police officer didn't even know it so why would you even say it like it's 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 not even relevant to the situation. Um, but I think about the racial tensions between, uh, I mean, part of the racial foundation of, of, of what's going on is, you know, the, the predominant history of white people are civilized and black people aren't, right? Uh, and you think about, they're not human. They're, you know, the slave trade, all that somehow based on some of that premise i you know i'm not an expert in this in this history right yeah um and so what was it why i bring it back to the humans of new york is that this photographer i guess was um somehow sent i, I don't know he's on his own volition or not to like uh various places in the middle east uh and various places in i think he was in nairobi as i've seen a lot of photos of late on my facebook feed a lot of stuff from iraq uh and all similar stories. Picture of a young girl who's interested in My Little Pony. Yeah. Uh, but it's a photo of a young girl in Iraq. Uh, a guy in uh, in Nairobi was, you know, talking about how uh, he was one, came home one day and his he didn't even realize for three hours or for an hour or something it was that his wife and kids had left, had left him. Mm. He sat there thought it just if you were making dinner or something. Weird. Uh, those are human stories yeah. that transcend culture, ethnicity, and and how you know we need more of that understanding uh, at a place in that situation. Let's say like Ferguson, where I don't know what happens where a white police officer just shoots a black unarmed teenager. Where is your mind? Where are the connections between we're all human beings? Is that even even a thought, right? Right. And this is just me with what I know of the situation, just asking myself questions about the humanity of it all.
Uh, and that, for some reason, I made that connection between humans of New York and what's happening in Ferguson. Hmm. In that sense, and I'm not sure why, but to me, there it it's there's a connection there. Yeah. Well, I think it. I mean, I think that whole situation just kind of underscores the still uh, rampant um, division and uh, maybe just overtly hidden um, tension between uh, races and cultures and, and um, I don't, you know, there's still, like you said, predominantly black neighborhoods, you know, predominantly white neighborhoods. And um, uh, I, I, it's, it's, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're we should all know better by now, just with history and um, just, you know, the, the, the whole world is so open to each other on the internet and, and things like that. But at the, on the other side of it, we're so kind of hidden behind it all, too. Um, for example, like when we, and I do this all the time, I'm just as guilty. Anytime I toast about something, I'm kind of guilty of, you know, if it's something I'm ranting about or something I, I feel very strongly about, it's like a world affairs or whatever, I'm reacting quite strongly behind my computer screen, you know? Okay. And until I'm out there at all the rallies, until I'm out there, you know actually getting involved with organizations that try to put a stop to things it's actually kind of hollow i find hmm. and i don't know how that actually relates to what we're talking about but in a sense you know i just find that these days like everybody's a critic and everyone's like well you know i think what everyone can agree on in ferguson is that obviously there's something very, very wrong there. And I think also um, John Oliver illustrated on one of his shows, which yeah. I think are quite brilliant. Elaine shows me them sometimes. She watches them a lot. Is that, you know, they had the press conference with the cops and one of the, the white, you know, top cop guys was saying, commenting and this was quite early on where he was saying they were he was being asked how many shots and he's like said something like well at least two maybe not that many more but at least a couple maybe a bit more Great. but not that many more or whatever he said i'm remembering it actually very poorly but point is is that you know they just didn't even know how to control the situation at all and and the other part of it is this discussion now about militarizing police forces yes that was a huge piece of the general for segment it's true i didn't had no idea i had no idea either and you know all these you know tanks and artillery all sorts of stuff was being funneled through cities and towns like smaller towns suburbs crazy militaristic uh, materials for local police forces. And it's like, why? You know, 
what are we protecting ourselves from at the end of the day? You know, um, I mean, if anything, we probably need that here <laughs> because of all the gang activity we have, which is something that I, I find is a real thorn in my side is all the gang activity that just seems to run rampant all the time. But, you know, these small towns and, and, and their pumpkin fairs and uh, all these, uh, all this fear just, you know, laid out in documents, applications for, we need this, we need that, because of the possibility of a terrorist. Well, that, that high, high potential target of that pumpkin fair. Yes. Terrorist target is. <laughs> it's just, I think we're, we've just entered this realm of kind of, you know, absurdity or insanity where it's just like well wait a second like can we just look at the actual evidence and statistics of what are the crime levels in these areas and um i never even know fully understood why this michael brown guy and his friends or whoever was nearby were stopped in the first place i never really fully understood that and it's like you know, they, for people who just seem to be just walking along, you know, uh, it's it's just really frightening. And I think it's maybe something that the states, you know, the United States, they haven't, they haven't figured out how to fully deal with yet. And then, you know, I think, too, you know, people say, oh, well, we've got a black president, you know. That's gonna, that's a symbol for how we're changing, which I think is, there's some validity there. Mm -hmm. Because obviously that just wasn't possible years ago. But I think it's also a, a way of saying, okay, well, it's too easy to say we're there yet, you know? And, you know, every few years we see specials on Martin Luther King and what he's done and how he was assassinated and stuff. And I, and I think, God, man, like, I don't think, you know, and they have the holiday, the Martin Luther King Day every January, and I think, I don't think Americans pay enough attention to that, it seems, where they're not fully understanding what was really fought over and uh, how his nonviolent stance, too, was actually quite something when you think of, Malcolm X, who contemplated violence, uh, the Black Panthers, who are all about violence, or, um, you know, other freedom fighters at the time. When you have someone like Martin Luther King, who didn't condone violence in any form, and how violent we are as a society, that, uh, especially down in the States, like, and there's a slight parallel here, something I just saw today. Okay. Um, people freaking out on the Twitterverse about... Peter McKay. Oh, having a t-shirt that was pro-gun. Right. Uh, some pro-gun lobby t-shirt. Yeah. Wearing a t-shirt over his sweater vest. <laughs> yeah, one, I, I take issue to the stylistic choices he makes. The sartorial choices that he's making. So, I'm, I'm reading about this. So, our Peter McKay, who's our... He's now our justice minister, correct? I believe so. Okay. Of Canada, right? He's, he's standing there, flanked between uh, a basically, like, a, a point person 
for the lobby of a gun lobby for pro guns for a organization in Canada which I I didn't know about a woman no less which is even freakier except as sexist as that might sound I fully accept it and then on his right of Afghan veteran who had a pin showing the logo of the no compromise uh, gun movement which the symbol the logo is half a maple leaf from our flag mixed with a, a, a half rifle, rifle right? or something yeah. half rifle yeah. which i think is completely insane first of all just that visual representation is insane and the fact that our just minister actually just freely put on that shirt and posed with a photo at a yeah albeit at a conservative fundraiser in fairness a lot of people are like, well, wait a second, he's anti, he's supposed to be anti-gun of all these conservative guys. He's supposed to be a progressive conservative. Right. Not a conservative. Right. Like a, what do they call that? A blue conservative? Um, I think it's a red Tory, it's called. Red Tory, yeah. sorry. And I was looking at this, instead of just freaking out like everybody else did, I was like, okay, is this really a big deal? And the only thing I couldn't get past was the logo. Like, the visual representation of, of this movement, which is a maple leaf and a gun, stuck together as one. To me, that's the whole offensive thing about it. And the okay. fact that he's wearing it is, is really weird. Like, there's no way you would see anyone from any other party wearing something like that. Like, honestly, imagine yourself as an MP and a more high-profile one. And you're presented with that shirt and to wear it and pose for a picture? I mean, would you actually do that? Well... I would suspect not. Not me as a human being, Justin Ho, but... Uh, <clears throat> but to win votes, maybe. As an MP representing the banner of the Conservative Party of Canada. I mean... Maybe, I guess. And I, I mean, not... I would never be in that situation, but... But like you, yeah, it, it makes me pine for the days of the progressive conservatives <laughs> and I Brian know. Mulroney of all people. You know, I like, know. like where is that voice of fiscal conservatives, conservatism, but social progression? Yeah, like passionate conservatism that doesn't exist anywhere in this country. No, there's no banner for that. No, and I think that's a legitimate option for people. I think there's governments could be run and organized and strategized under that philosophy. Totally could be, and viably so. But it got gobbled up. It really did. And there are some people that would never forgive them for that. When the progressive conservatives yeah. merged with the, the Reform Party. Like that that was a huge betrayal. Yeah. And and Peter McKay of, of amongst all of them had to swallow that. The last leader of the Progressive Conservatives was Peter McKay. <laughs> Amazing. Like, could you imagine Brian Mulroney or Joe Clark putting on a shirt like that? <laughs> I mean, no. for all of any of their faults that people have uh, gone on about, for any of, of their flaws, there is no way you would see any of them wear a shirt like that. 
and and to me the say the the flippant or very ultra casual attitude about putting on something like that is really to me the kind of dangerous perspective to have that's what i found shocking about that and i saw that just today and i was like whoa like i'm not gonna freak out and just go nuts you know on twitter about it but to me personally i i I felt offended only because those are people who are supposed to be running the country and if they're wearing something with a gun on it i think that's a bad path Well, on that bad path note, shall we get to the final aspect of our podcast? Okay, sure. The poem. Okay, tell us about it. What? Why? Why were you? What you? What did you choose? Why? Okay. Um, I chose the poem by Jim Morrison, and uh, the other week I was actually listening to um, some songs. By different people and noticing the lyric, the lyrical, um, I don't know, just good lyrics. Thinking about words because people often think about just the sounds and the music. Mm. People often forget words. And I'm in a band where uh, our singer writes all the words, and. And uh, I, I love his lyrics. And I've actually been in bands previous where they were all good lyricists. Like, Elaine and I have been lucky to work with a lot of good lyricists, like Karen, when we did The Glowing Hearts. Amazing lyricist. And, and Cam in the Nines, again, another great lyricist. So, uh, all people had a way with words. So, I thought, I, I came across one of his poems, and I thought, oh yeah, that's really good. So this is um, this is a poem by Jim Morrison from The Doors, obviously. Uh, and I actually have all of his poetry books, <laughs> and um, and I thought of reading one because I've been a Doors fan for years, ever since I was about thirteen. Um, when Chrisanne, of all others, among others, uh, got me into the Doors. Um, she's entirely responsible for that. Mm. And um, from that point on, I I was like, wow, you know, the, the, the words in these songs are so lyrical. And Jim Morrison considered himself a poet over everything else. And so this is a poem that he wrote and actually recorded with a number of other poems just himself as spoken word that ended up being released later by after he died by the other doors and they put music to it posthumously okay posthumously however that's pronounced uh but what i'm going to do when we post our podcast is i'm going to send you a link of i actually found this on youtube just him the original raw recording of him before the music was added years later Oh, and we'll also post the link of this, of the one with with the music. Awesome. The only thing is, um, the one with the music has actually about half of the poem I'm about to read, 
for whatever reason, they just chose a segment to add music to, not the entire poem. Okay. Uh, and this is actually a very long poem that I'm going to read the first section of. Okay. Uh, so it won't be too long, but it's a bit longer than previous ones we've read. So this is called Far Arden, and uh, recorded in 1969, written around that time, I would imagine. And um, I'll just read it, see what you think. Sure. Okay, here we go. In that year, we had an intense visitation of energy. When Radio Dark Night existed and assumed control, and we rocked in its web, consumed by static and stroked with fear, we were drawn down long from a deep sleep and awakened at dayfall by worried gardeners and made to be led through dew-wet jungle to the swift summit overlooking the sea. A vast radiant beach and a cool jeweled moon Couples naked raced down by its quiet side, and we laughed like soft mad children, smug in the woolly cotton brains of infancy. The music and voices are all around us. Choose, they croon, the ancient ones. The time has come again. Choose now, they croon, beneath the moon, beside the ancient lake. Enter again the sweet forest, enter the hot dream, come with us. Everything is broken up in dances. Moonshine night, Mount Village. Insane in the woods and the deep trees. Under the moon, beneath the stars, they reel and dance the young folk. Led to the lake by a king and queen. Oh, I want to be there. I want us to be there. Beside the lake, beneath the moon, cool and swollen, dripping hot its liquor. Frozen moment by a lake, a knife has been stolen, the death of a snake. I know the impossible sea when the dogs bark. I am a death bird, nightly, uh, excuse me, naughty night bird. That's the poem. That's part one of a longer series of poems in that one group of poems. <laughs> so yeah. What do you think? Well, there's such different imagery throughout that. Yeah. You know, it starts a little bit around, like it's a, a, a dawning of a day, it talks about the, you know, the dew in the grass and then, you know, the worriedness of the garden. Like, it was a very specific starting point. And then it kind of goes a, a bunch of different places. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it ends such a completely almost kind of random new place compared to where it started. Yeah. So, fa like, fascinating imagery. I, I, I'm not quite sure what I'm making of all of that together and, and why all those different parts are together in one uh, poem, I guess. Or right. One, but I'm curious as to what resonates with, the, with those, that, those imageries, those words uh, for you. Uh, for sure. And I, I agree fully with what you said, because it is very true. It starts in a certain way, and it actually, it goes through a number of places, a number of different imagery, a number of different environments, yeah. and actually ends on a weird note, um, about being a deaf bird. Um, so, for me, I like it, because 
he always tend he always tended to write about um you know scenes in the night or scenes in the dawn mm. and it's it's funny he he would be actually very um atmospheric which is what i really like about his poems and they actually can start to to me they're a group of suggestions they're saying we can be this or we can go there and that's that's what i like about it and there's actually not a lot of resolution there's it's a lot of open-endedness which i really like um there's a quote actually by jim a famous quote but Jim Morrison, for those who um, are big fans that they, they know, which he says, a lot of po poetry, good poetry actually doesn't really say anything at all. It actually just gives the hints of the possibilities, you know? Right. And I like that because it's true. Um, there's a lot of, uh, in his poems, and this one too, there's a lot of Los Angeles and... Uh, the hills and the valleys and the um, the weird characters and that's what I like about this when he ever talks about the you know my I think my one of my favorite lines in this whole thing and of all of this stuff is a vast radiant beach and cool jeweled moon I just love that line and that's where when they put out this poem with his other poems and added music that's where it started mm. um, that segment and uh it just rolls like it just goes like once he starts painting that picture it just just goes and i i just love where it takes you and and um it, i i like i like to focus attention on it actually because a lot of people tend to shrug off his poems um which is which is fair. I mean, you can take any poet and say, "Well, that's just silly, or that just sounds frivolous or dumb," you know. But for people who, I I get the added benefit of, you know, all of his lyrics, which you could call poems in some way, go with music, right? So there's however many songs that. The music actually uh, lifts the the poetry. Even though I like listening to people uh, read poetry without a sound, I like that too. I like the intimacy of that. I get to hear that with music and and see how others took those words and treated that, and which is what I like to do anyway. Just being a musician, so there's all sorts of angles that come. Uh, that 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 uh, that I feed off of that reach to me that uh, that I I like to feel when I read that or or hear him read it, which we'll post about too. So uh, a lot of people are like, oh, Jim Morrison, it's just silly poetry or whatever. But I don't know. I don't. I don't agree. Uh, although I respect that opinion, I I think that um, you can actually say that about any poet, and I think he just kind of was uh, in a time where a lot of people were uh, pushing music in a lot of different ways. Uh, it was a big melting pot. I think he was brave enough to um, 
be like, no, like you could actually just sit there and read these words instead of just sing them, which I think is a big difference to a lot of other pop music at the time. So, so that's why I brought it up. Well, I, what I like about what you were saying, you, you, you mentioned the, almost the, the philosophy of, of that particular poem, or maybe all, particularly maybe his writing generally, but it's a group of suggestions, you know, group yeah. of possibilities. And, and it reminded me of uh, the connection between the medium of poetry in itself. Like, right. if you wanted a logical sequence of things that were going from, a, from point A to point B, then you'd be reading prose, right? Like, that's, that's the medium, right? <laughs> yeah. Poetry is open to that interpretation. You know, uh, a poet, in this case, can offer suggestions, possibilities, and you'll just take which possibility you want, resonate with what possibility you want, make meaning of it in the way you want. So it's uh, fascinating how the, that approach just takes advantage of that medium. Yeah. Uh, which I hadn't thought of until you mentioned it that way. So that was really cool. cool. Awesome. I'm glad you enjoyed. So there we go. And uh, maybe next podcast we'll, yes. we'll have one I'll for find a minute. Christmas poem. Yes. <laughs> Not even Halloween, just Christmas. <laughs> Nothing autumnal, just straight winter. Something about a reindeer, maybe with a red nose. <laughs> I, I will find something for our next one for sure. I love awesome. these conversations. It's great. Cool. Well, should we... Uh... Let's wrap it up and yeah. chow down. I'm stuck. Oh, yes, excellent. Okay, well, uh, that's another episode number 58 for us. 58. Love so, it. yeah. So, until next time... Yeah, so hope you enjoyed it, listen to, uh, listening to it. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, on thedotmatrix.com, on iTunes. And, uh, yeah, no one has dropped us a comment or an email in years. <laughs> but, hey, if you want to do that, do so on any of those mediums. And maybe I'll post that when I post on Facebook. I'll cool. make that suggestion. <laughs> okay, uh, so until next time. Do 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 do